I'm Baratunde Thurston, and this is Spit, an iHeartRadio podcast with 23andMe. This is the podcast that explores how our DNA is changing our lives and the world around us. For our first show, we'll explore how are we all related. The most drastic examples of violence in humanity that we have were often justified by people thinking that someone who looked a little bit different or worshipped a little bit differently. But I feel like we're becoming closer together and the world's becoming less violent, more empathetic, and we're helping each other more than we ever used to. You're not that different from other humans. You're actually genetically really similar. And that's the reality. I am here with two guests who are changing the world, one through culture, one through science. We have a Grammy, Oscar, Tony, and hopefully soon, Emmy Award-winning, certainly nominated artist, philanthropist, and rosé purveyor, Mr. John Legend. Welcome to the room, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Good <laughs> to see you. We also have the co-founder and CEO of 23andMe. Please welcome Anne Wojcicki. Oh, thank you. Did I do your name okay? Perfect. Nailed Perfect. it. You nailed oh, it. Oh, got the name. Got the name. Well, John's doing a dance. I'm dancing like with John Legend. Guys Everyone <laughs> needs to do this when they say my name. We got to warm up. So we're getting y'all warm. Uh, we are going to talk about what DNA means to us, the story that it tells us about who we are and how we're all related. And I want to start with you, John. Uh, have you done a DNA test before? And if so, what have you found out about where you're from? Yeah, I did a DNA test. I learned a lot about the stories of my ancestors, some of whom were slaves in America, and some of the courage that they displayed. Uh, one one uh, group in my family history literally um, fought in court for their freedom, and the state of Ohio defended them, the state where I grew up and was born. Oh, uh, age. De- defend- exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why I root for the Buckeyes. Um, <laughs> um, they defended my family in court because someone uh, who was um, uh, descendants of their their masters before um, tried to reclaim them back into slavery, back into the South when they were living in Ohio, and Ohio went and defended them. Wow. Um, so, you're, so Ohio defended... Ancestors of yours yes. from being kidnapped by folks from another yes, state. Yes, back into the South. Yes. But also, they give you the literal breakdown of where they think your ancestry comes from. So you've got like the, the John Legend recipe. Yeah, the recipe. A lot of people <laughs> want to know what the recipe is to make so a John Legend. So I, I found out I was two-thirds of African descent, okay. uh, West African, and one-third of mostly European descent, uh, you know, like Western and Northern, Northern Europe. Okay, this is very exciting for me. Yeah. I'm blacker than John. I'm blacker than John. <laughs> I feel like black people, we kind of know uh, our level of blackness. We can look at each other. And I mean, like, skin tone reveals Yeah, we, we, we look at the skin tones. We're like, oh, it looks like he's mixed or he looks like he's this. Right. right. He's but yes, yeah, so I, I turned turned out I was two thirds. Okay. So, you know, what, whatever that says, that's what it says. Um, <laughs> and you're very American. <laughs> it's very American. And I think... Um, when both of your parents consider themselves black, they have about the same complexion I do and probably a similar mix um, uh, 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 that I do. You're raised black. You yeah. know, They think of themselves as black, so you think of yourself as black, no matter whatever other mix is in there. And America kind of tells you you're black as well by the way America treats you and by the way that, uh, America looks at you. Uh, and so I never really kind of accounted for or thought about the other parts of my mix because I always thought... Well, I'm black, and that's what I am. Right. Um, and you know, we know what light skin and dark skin, and you know, you know, brown skin or whatever is. Uh, and we talk about that in the community uh, of black folks. But at the end of the day, we think of ourselves as black most of the time, unless you have a, a parent who's of another race, and then it kind of complicates it more. So 
That's what I always thought of myself as. And then I got the details on it uh, when I took the test. Did that change what you told yourself about who you are or where you're from? Or how no, you because I think um, I always thought of myself. And, and I think also considering myself black, but also considering myself African-American, which um, African-American to me means the possibility that you're mixed with other... <laughs> the probability. The probability and, and the probability that that mixture comes from probably a, a story that's not so good, which mm. is a lot of times the white blood in our ancestry comes from rape and uh, from domination from um, white male slave masters uh, toward black women. Yeah. So we know that story. A lot of us in our community know that story. And so when we think about our ancestry and we know that part of it's white, we know that there's a good chance that part of that whiteness comes from something that was pretty evil and violent and um, destructive. Uh, so it's an interesting thing to grapple with. And, and it's part of the American story and the African-American story that slavery can never be kind of erased out of the conversation because so much of that history affects our legacy now. Yeah, and it's literally in the DNA. It's literally in our DNA. Uh, which is a nice segue uh, to you. And what do you know about your genetic story and, and your DNA story, where you're from? Well, both my parents are relative, you know, my, my father's first generation, uh, my mom's um, parents, they immigrated here. It was interesting because we're obviously, we're one of the first people that were ever, that was ever sequenced or ever genotyped. Right. Um, and so my mother is Jewish and my father is Catholic. And it's interesting because okay. it was the first time we got the DNA back and, and you could so clearly see, I remember my sister saying, she was like, it's eerily creepy how accurate it is mm. like the DNA really shows up. So I'm half Jewish, half yeah. European. Yeah, okay. And so I have a tiny bit of Croatian. So I was actually like, we were excited for the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. We were actually, I was, Congratulations. when I was thinking about what part, what team do I want to root for? I was like, well, I got that 1% Croatian. <laughs> so therefore I'm like, I'm rallying for it. Um, but, I love DNA as an excuse to root for a World Cup team. <laughs> oh, completely, <laughs> completely. For black people, that meant root for France. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> so what was interesting is my grandmother's from Siberia and she looked very Asian. Yeah. My, you know, my great grandparents and more and more. And so we always had this belief. We're like, we're just part Mongolian. Like we mm. know it. Like they're from, you know, an area that was similar to Mongolia or close to Mongolia. And then when we got our DNA, that was actually our real disappointment because we were so you know, determined. We're like, look, uh, we're like part Mongolian and, and we're really not. Like, we're not at all. <laughs> That's how it was for me and Native American because oh, you yes. grew up in black families and so, so many of us kind of have this mythology or something in our community where we're like, yeah, we're part Indian uh, for some reason or another. And I think a lot of uh, particularly light-skinned folks might have come up with that as a kind of way of not acknowledging their white uh, ancestry. Uh, but Turns out, no. Nope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not a it's joke. Like, it was like 1% or 2%, uh, yeah. and then, you know. It's definitely rest. one of the most common. I mean, yeah. We see people who have, you know, who think that they know what their ancestry and that's part of the reality is like you get you get a decent amount of non-paternity. A lot of people, mm -hmm. you know, are not necessarily related to the the father that they think. Mm -hmm. And people have been, you know, there's different stories about where you've actually been. So the reality of whatever you look like today, you can look a certain way, but what's in your DNA can actually be quite different. Yeah. And then and what's in the story that you have Correct. can be different from what's in your DNA. How oh. much non-paternity are you guys getting? <laughs> you know, it's... Fan, it's, fan, it's fantastic stories. It's an <laughs> Many stories. I think we were coming up with a new show. It's, it's interesting how... Um, I mean, I feel like over the last 12 years, we've... You start a company and you think you're starting it for all kinds of reasons mm -hmm. and um, you realize 10 years later the consequences of all the, all the things that you, you sort of anticipated but you didn't realize quite the impact it would have. And I would say one of those things is non-paternity. Mm -hmm. And you always know... It's 
it's out there, but it's out there with a frequency that probably every single family has a story. So if you imagine that the nation average is about 10%, if you go back three generations, um, I always joke that you have someone in your family who's Uncle Joe, who's actually just Joe. And, <laughs> and, or just dead. And, and so, <laughs> He's like uncles in quotes. So it's it's relatively high, but you know, you go back statistically, you have enough people in your in your family, three generations. There's someone there that everyone has a story, mm-hmm. and that's the type of thing. Like we just found um, recently that we we just found a first cousin, and it's interesting. Like we we kind of. Um, like I, I, I kind of felt for this guy who, you know, he was adopted and was looking for his family and the guy logs in and, and holy cow, like there's a lot of us on 23andMe. Yeah, <laughs> right. And like not only that, yeah. but he, he can see he's related to the founder. Um, so no, and it's, and it's amazing. Like the story is right. This was not like, a, <laughs> no, okay. we, um, no, we've, we've, I mean, we're, we see him regularly. I mean, it's, yeah, it's great. It's, yeah. And that's one thing that I've learned. Like one of the most interesting things I think that's come out of 23andMe that we're grappling with as a society. What is the definition of family? Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it just based on genetics or is it based on, you know, the community that you grew up with? And people come to me all the time and they say, all these people think they're my cousins and they're, they keep emailing me on 23andMe. And, I, and I'll say, I was like, well, they are. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's all that they think. They yeah. are. You have DNA in common with these people. Like yeah. you are. So... You know, and it, and it goes to, again, one of the main things I think that I've learned with 23andMe is how much the world is genuinely connected. Mm-hmm. Like we have, like, again, I grew up in the era of we are the world and mm-hmm. singing that and um, and you believe it. But but now I can see it. Yeah. Like yeah. scientifically, I can see we that, are the the enti- that we are the world. Yeah. Like we're, we're genetically connected, not just to each other as humans, mm-hmm. but every living thing on this planet. Like there is a common, like life all evolved in one way and you're connected, like, you know, you're connected to the trees, you're connected to, you know, the animals like running around, you're connected to everything here. Everything has the common four letters of DNA and there's a beautiful story of evolution and how we've evolved Mm -hmm. and sort of how you've been optimized as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that's where like, we are all connected. We are all, we are the world. So, so in the scientific grounding, you, there was a lot that you both just, just offered up. And one thing I heard from both of you is the story versus the science mm-hmm. of who we are, whether racially, mm-hmm. right? Scientifically, you're one third white, mm-hmm. but your identity is black mm-hmm. because that's what you grew up with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had a story of Mongolia yeah. <laughs> and the science said, well, actually, completely, yeah, not at all. But this common ground, these letters that unite us all. We find a way to uh, exacerbate the divisions mm-hmm. very effectively, mm-hmm. where we're 99.5% the same as humans. But that 0.5% uh, is an area we have been eager to explore, yeah. <laughs> to put it positively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for you, John, what, are you, what have you seen in some of your work, in the way you connect with people through music, but in certainly your activism, about how we explore and exploit that very small technical scientific division? Yeah, it's interesting because I think part of the goal of art is to bring us together and 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 get in touch with our soul and and um, connect us through like a common human experience. I, I I play my music in in New York. I play it in Los Angeles. I also play it in Johannesburg and Cape Town. I play it in Lagos. I play it in São Paulo. I play it in Beijing. And I feel like there's so much that unites us and that connects us to each other and i think art is a really powerful way to kind of highlight that right. and to inspire that connection to even become closer and i, I think storytelling particularly when it comes to tv and film 
has the power to help us empathize with other people when it comes to other experiences that may not be our own or even seeing um, that people living um, thousands of miles away can have common experiences uh, that we face and have common desires and, and loves and wants and, and um, fears. And I think that's part of the power of art. Um, but also, obviously, um, like you said, those those small differences have inspired a lot of war, inspired a lot of discrimination, uh, inspired slavery and all these other uh, awful things. Holocausts are, are, you know, the most drastic examples of violence and inhumanity that we have as well were often justified by uh, people thinking that someone who looked a little bit different or worshipped a little bit differently wasn't human in the same way or wasn't enough like them to for them to feel empathy or love toward them and um, use their fear of their difference to um, justify a lot of violence and inhumanity. So we've seen all of that. Um, but I feel like we're becoming more and more connected around the world. I feel like we're learning more and more about how much we have in common. I feel like uh, we're seeing each other uh, more and more than we ever were before. We're living more closely together than we ever were before. And media uh, has brought us together more so that we're experiencing the same things more than we ever used to. And so part of me is optimistic, even though we're in dark times sometimes. And and sometimes we are really in disagreement with who's in leadership and and some of the inhumanity that is, is coming from our leadership um, I think overall in the arc of the world, I think we're becoming closer together and the world's becoming less violent and and more empathetic and we're helping each other more than we ever used to. Thank you for that, man. Mm-hmm. Um, the way you cast the role of art, mm-hmm. multiple modes of it, it appeared to me as, as um, you've got this bird's eye view mm-hmm. from Manila to San Quentin to mm-hmm. Los Angeles and you also have a bird's eye view, Anne you know, from the 5 million users of your platform, which is one of many, but you you have a particular window. What do you see? I mean, do you have a parallel version of, of what John sees through being in the field with the art and also seeing the divisions? Are you seeing a similar level of connectivity, but also division in, in that scale that you have access to? I think people, you know, you go back 20 years ago when I was little and we moved, um, you know, my parents would take us to Thailand and it was like, oh my God, it's like a shock. Like it's so, it's such a different you know, culture, it's a different people. We moved to France. It's just, it was different. Like it felt so different. And I think one of the things that's interesting that we can start to portray in your, in your DNA is one, we're appealing to your ego. So it's all about you. (laughs) Like we just taught you all about you and you are fascinating. Like everyone is fascinating. Guaranteed success. Guaranteed success. Like you you are fascinating. (laughs) And, and suddenly it's a sense of like, I know myself and I'm fascinating and holy cow, like I'm really similar to this person Mm -hmm. who like, you know, lives in a tribe in rural Africa and is totally different than me. And we're really similar, Mm -hmm. like genetically, like the foundation. Again, this isn't what we started the company to do, but I actually think it's a really beautiful consequence is that people do start to recognize that they're more similar. And in some ways, like for me being sort of the, the nerdy scientist, like, each mutation that 
has made you slightly different from First me. First of all, I'm not a mutant. Okay? <laughs> I don't know why you're insulting me. I got you in this nice studio. You got tea. And now I you're calling me tea. a mutant. We all have beautiful... We exist because of mutations. <laughs> we exist because of mutations. But like the reality is like mutations are why we have the spectacular people in the world. Like Hussein Bolt, like he's amazing because he has spectacular mutations that like... That's why like he's evolved in such a way that he can obviously run really fast. Yeah. And you evolved in a way that like your ancestors evolved. So like you have darker skin that protects you. Like people with like bright, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes evolved in such a way so that they could actually capture more sun. So because otherwise like, you're not going to get as much of like the nutrients you need from your sun, yeah. from the sun. So every every mutation is a story of survival. And, and I think when you can look at that and say, like, we're meant to evolve and we're meant to survive. And because of that, you know, you can see this really interesting in, in terms of like virus in, in infectious diseases. So the 1918 flu, which killed, you know, uh, millions of people. I don't know if it was millions or if it was a million. Um, but there are certain people who have a genetic mutation that make them resistant to it. The same thing with HIV. There's certain people on this planet who are genetically resistant to HIV. And so similarly, like we're all meant to be a tiny bit different to make sure that the next generation is going to be even better than what we are today. And so part of it for me is celebrating that we do have these like slight genetic differences because it gives me hope that like in a thousand years, like it's going to be even more interesting than it is today. And that by appealing to the ego through the 23 me experience and like we teach you about you, you realize like you're not, you're just not that different. You're not that different from other humans. You're actually genetically really similar. So you have certain genes in your body uh-huh. that all different living species have. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at your DNA and what percent of your DNA is similar to a mouse. Got it. And we can see there's like certain things that are really fundamental. Like they have two eyes, mm. a mouth. Yeah. So that kind of thing, like those are conserved. Yeah. Like you're, you're actually, and again, like my dream one day, and my my team always is like, and um, I want this, like I want a map from the beginning of life to have, like when did we branch off? Like when were there like different trees, and when did the mouse, and when did the humans, like we're all connected. Like I want the whole tree of life. Like, but it started from the same place. Like we wow. all really have that similar, like that's what I love. Like we have the same, fa- like all of us have the same grandparents. Yeah. So like, yeah. it's, it's like, it's so interesting. Yeah. And I think that again, like the beauty of it is appealing to the ego. Like, let me teach you about you yeah. and then it will teach you about the world. Just a pro tip. If yeah. you're going to appeal to my ego, mice, <laughs> not the best, like velociraptor, <laughs> eagles, lions, lions, <laughs> panthers. I mean, this. you know, I've been like hanging out more with my daughter who's like, I want to be related to the bunny rabbit. Um, so I need more time with you. Yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> he likes panthers. He likes eagles. This is, this is, <laughs> the lion, the panther. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, let me find out those genetics of those. Yeah. And we'll back okay, to great. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I just basically. I want scientific proof that I'm Black Panther. Yeah. That's all I'm looking for here. I am the totally Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Okay, that will be my follow up to this. I love it. That's funny. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, so um, within your family, John. Uh huh. How do you all? You have a mixed race family, mixed uh-huh. race children. Like, You're talking about my uh, my wife and family. my kids. Yes, yes. Your wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you all talk about? Your identities, how do you, what's the narrative you build? Have you done a whole family genetic test? Well, our kids aren't old enough to really talk about race yet. Yeah. Um, my family, my wife and I are very aware of where we come from, and yeah. uh, she's a mixed race as well. And so, 
She's one of those people that looks like she could be a bunch of things. So people ask her, what are you, all the time? And she says, a banana. <laughs> Part banana. So I, I feel like for people that look like Chrissy, I yeah. think a lot of times it's almost annoying how much you get asked what you are all the time. But she's also proud of her heritage. She's um, Her mother was born and raised in a village in Thailand. And uh, her father, um, his family came from Northern Europe, Germany and Norway and they moved to America, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s for a better life. And, and, uh, and you know, he's one of the first generations born here uh, from a family that came from Northern Europe. And he met um, Chrissy's mom in Thailand. And Chrissy is the result of that beautiful uh, uh, marriage. So um, when our kids grow up, they're going to have a grandmother who was born in a village in Thailand. And they're going to have my mother who uh, was born in Springfield, Ohio, uh, as an African-American woman. And they're going to have all of this interesting heritage. And part of it will be the fun of learning about the different cultures that they come from. Um, they're going to have Thai food. They're going to have soul food. They're going to have, uh, you know, European-American food. You know, they're going to have uh, all of that. Um, and they're going to travel the world with us. And, and, and hopefully they'll grow up in a world that's even more loving and more accepting of difference. Uh, than the one we grew up in, and um, they'll have pride in in their family ancestry as well. And you've mentioned a couple of times that some of what you're seeing through 23andMe isn't what you exactly planned for. Where else has uh, what you've seen deviated from what you expected? A couple of things. I think specifically, actually, as relevant in this conversation, is um, the perceptions of race. Um, we see a lot of conversation about like what is like again. I we we started up very much as like this is about genetics. We're going to really change the pace of research. Mm. Like we're about you know empower people with diseases. You know come together. You're going to learn about yourself. It was very much focused on health, and I feel like we've gotten into suddenly um, we impact identity, and um, and when you think about identity, you start getting into the race question and. I had no, again, with we have this feature called Ancestry Composition, where it really does, um, you know, it shows you all the things we talked about, right. your breakdown. And we have stories, like one of my favorite stories was this woman who um, was adopted and, you know, she came, um, she found through 23andMe, she was part of um, this reindeer people up in, the Sami people up in the Arctic Circle. She quits her job, she has a phenomenal job in the Bay Area, quits her job and moves to the Arctic Circle to like live with the Rainbeard people. And she writes me two years later and she said, you know, I've never been happier. I've dedicated all of my marketing efforts to giving voice to these people. Oh my. I feel at home for the first time. And I take this story and I walk over to my research team and I go, you better be right. Um, <laughs> because it, she just, you know, <laughs> she just changed her whole life. No. I, I, and I, and I, I said, because again, we started as like, it was very much focused on, um, you know, scientific research and, you know, a lot of disease work and making sure. And suddenly I have people changing their whole identity mm. based on the information that we're, that we're giving them. Yeah. And we have another story. It was in people magazine a few years ago and we were just reading the title and I I think it's, um, you know, Jewish woman with four um, biracial children discovers um, her father um, and grandfather were a grand clansman. Oh. And um, and so here, it's one of these stories like and it, it's so crazy because she was the product of a fling 
and um, Rage Jewish, married an African-American man, has biracial children, and discovers her father, who is very racist, who's... um, her grandfather was a grand clansman, um, was arrested for actually trying to bomb, um, you know, one of the first African-American schools. And here he is saying, I, I, I have to, I'm going to love my grandchildren. He's 74 or so. Like, I have to have a mind shift. Um, I'm going to spend time with my daughter's husband. Wow. And it's interesting. The article is very raw because it's like, it's not, it's not like it's harmony on day one. It's not like, oh, I was wrong for 70 years. But yeah. it's like, we're going to talk about it. And and recognize I, I've committed. I'm going to spend time with my grandchildren. I'm going to love them. And I think that's the kind of again, like I didn't, we didn't start the company thinking this, yeah. but like that's I think where when you find a real meaningful connection with somebody who's totally different than you, I think it opens your mind. Like you're going to then be more open to it. And I think again, the more it's where I I, I love the idea of combining sort of that Facebook social networking world with people who are totally different from you, but they're genetically similar. And how much can we actually have an impact on helping understand yeah. differences? Well, do you um, get involved in the nature nurture conversations totally. that people are always having? Because in some ways, people are taking the information you give them and almost recrafting their life to kind of let their genes in some way determine who they are. But also there's a side where people aren't don't have to be determined by their genetic background or by who their right. ancestry is uh, in, in some ways as well. Right. I think there's a whole... You know, the nature nurture debate mm-hmm. is what captured, captivated me. When I was six years old, the first sure. time I heard about it, I was like, this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that you have the potential to do? And then what can I change in my environment? When I was six, um, I was fascinated by glue. <laughs> <laughs> well, today, that's also a popular <laughs> activity with slime. I don't know how much slime you're making, but we do a lot of slime in my okay. household. So um, the nature nurture conversation is fascinating uh-huh. because you have certain things that, you know, if you have the genetic mutation for breast cancer, you're just high risk. Like mm-hmm. very high risk. There's definitely things that you can do in your environment to yeah. to impact it. I have it for high blood pressure and uh, high cholesterol. Wow. So and that's where there's like there's especially on the health side. Mm-hmm. You might know at an early age you're higher risk for blood pressure. Okay, do you actually change the kind of salt that you intake in your mm-hmm. life? Do you actually from day one just try to say if you were new you're high risk for addiction? Do you just say okay you know what like when I if you have I just had knee surgery like no fentanyl for me like no no extreme drugs like just like how is it that you can take this information and say, I'm going to impact a little bit of what I'm exposed to. I'm a huge believer as well in, in the power to overcome. Like mm-hmm. your mindset, like I love the 10,000 hours theory. Like mm-hmm. you dedicate your time, you dedicate huge effort into anything you want to do and you can be pretty great at it. Mm-hmm. So you definitely have some aspects. Like I'm not, you know, how musical could I really be? If I really dedicated myself, could I ever like be your sidekick? Mm-hmm. I, I think not. <laughs> I think she's asking for a job. <laughs> I would love, I'm a great backup dancer though. Um, <laughs> so I think that it, it is, and I think the nature nurture question is something that we're continuing to understand. Just yeah. how much do your genes impact the outcome of who you've been? Clearly environment's huge. Yeah. Massive. And so I think that's where it gives people an opportunity to say, hey, here's here's potentially what you were born with, but there's a lot of potential in the decisions that you make. And one thing I try to emphasize to people is that the decision, you know, to me, I'm 44. I've made a lot of decisions in my life. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I just wake up today and I'm like, hey, like I'm going to start fresh. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, it's always good to start over. But every single day of the last 44 years, 
has had an impact on me and who I am yeah. today. So it's important for people, like every single day when you're making that decision about Doritos and Ho-Hos, like it has an impact cumulatively over time. Yeah. And every decision that other people make too that right. around you. So like what kind of schools you're able to go to, what, uh, what kind of parenting you're uh, exposed to and all these other decisions impact that. All of that. When you started talking, <laughs> Anne, about, you know, at 44, you don't just make a fresh start. And then I'm thinking about your work, John, with mm -hmm. Free America yeah. and folks who didn't have the 10,000 hours, mm -hmm. you know, or had very limited access to the types of 10,000 hours yeah. they could spend because they were incarcerated. Mm -hmm. But they are, you know, many of them are returning and trying to have a start. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That You know, the this is a different form of nurture. It's like the opposite yeah. of nurture. Well, I believe in that people can grow and that they can learn. And I experienced that in the work that we do around education and around the criminal justice system. Because if you look at, because a lot of times I think a lot of people are kind of in their mind, they think you just are who you are. Like John can sing. He was just, he just is a good singer. Yeah. He's a good pianist. He was just meant to be a musician. But if I didn't spend a lot of time practicing, there's no way I could have gotten better to the point where I could be who I am today. Because a lot of people have some kind of grain of talent that isn't cultivated, that isn't um, that isn't nurtured in any way, and they don't make it to where I am because of that. Um, and so when we look at our school systems, um, we have to decide, are we doing the right kinds of things to help these young people with the seed of talent or spark or whatever they have? Are we helping them become the best person that they can be? And on the back end, are we creating situations where they're not exposed to a good education. They're not exposed to good neighborhoods and they're exposed to a lot of trauma. They're exposed to a lot of things that alter. And I believe trauma actually alters your genetic makeup, yeah. I believe. And uh, if they're exposed to all these kinds of negative inputs, um, how bad are we messing them up so that the criminal justice system is eventually going to have to deal with them because we put them in a situation where they're more likely to commit crime. They're more likely to be unemployed. They're more likely to have all these other issues that they have to deal with um, that we as a society end up dealing with because they might get addicted to drugs or some other thing that happens because of all the trauma and all the um, difficulties that they've seen. And so a lot of times I'm thinking about how do we make our society better so that the front end, we're investing in education and healthy communities and all that we need. And then on the back end, that we're not over-incarcerating and, and destroying communities by by uh, being too draconian in our criminal justice system. Yeah. You you know, I, I started this by saying, like, we have two people here who are changing the world through culture, through science. But it also, you've both used language around helping us be the best versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through art, through action, through education through scientific inquiry, through products, really. Um, that's not a question. Mm -hmm. That was just a statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought maybe there would be a question mark at the end well, of it. We, well, there's so much potential that we have. Just think about just think about sexism, for instance, when you waste the the talent and potential of half of the population. Yeah. Just think about just think about how destructive that is for the community. Just think how how underutilized yeah. uh, the community is when you say half of the population can only reach this glass ceiling and can't be their best self. Um, and you put rules and structures in place to make that uh, kind of uh, reinforced. It's such a waste. And if we're doing that with whole neighborhoods, if we're doing that with half of the population when it comes to women, when we're doing that uh, with entire racial groups in, in America where, you know, 
twelve percent of us are black, or, or another you know fourteen or so are Hispanic. And if you're wasting the talent because you're saying these people don't get included in the American dream, or they don't get included in what we think of as people that deserve a good education or or, or healthy uh, community, um, it's such a waste. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that we always say in the company is that everyone's good at something. And and we see this even just from how we operate the company is, you know, someone can join on a certain team and not necessarily execute well. And we give them an opportunity to go into another team. Mm. You know, then we have some people then who move on to their third team and then they're great. And um, and I think about like I was really lucky as a kid. My parents, I worked a lot of different jobs and I was given a lot of opportunities. But it's it's hard to necessarily find what you love. And like part of the reason why I like, I absolutely love what I do now. Like I have, I'm, I'm lucky, but everyone's good at something. You know, Warren Buffett always says, you know, if he had been, you know, raised in, you know, hunter gatherer society, he would not be thriving right now. Like he's really not, he's not meant for he it. Found his um, life. <laughs> <laughs> no, he found what he was supposed he to do. He found what he's really good at. Um, <laughs> so I think that that's where is like more and more we try to help people like really believe. And one thing that we've done that I, I also love is that, um, into your point on communities, is if somebody believes in you, and my mom's a high school teacher. She runs actually the largest journalism program in the country. And um, and the number one thing she sees is she's like, you just have to believe in the kids. Like, you believe in them. And it's kind of what we do. Our philosophy with genetics and science is anyone can be a scientist. You know, it's not – scientists have, like, kind of created this elitist society of, like, big words and complicated and, like – New England Journal is not really the prettiest magazine to read. And like, there's not, it's really not user friendly. And I think scientists have created almost this elitist, like I have a white coat and I have a degree and you call me doctor. Mm -hmm. And what we try to do is like, say like, anyone could be a scientist. You're in eighth grade. You want to be a geneticist? Damn, here's your genome. You can learn about it. And I think the more products that are out there where you just believe in people, People can rise. Like I love seeing when I see kids and like people of all education levels all around the country who come to me with sophisticated questions and they're like, I was researching my genome. I saw this mutation I have and I'm like overwhelmed at like the differences in education levels. Anyone can be a scientist. You just have to believe in people. I'm just like enjoying that and just feeling that. This might be a too obvious a point, but I think the fact that we are so similar the fact that all of us have so much potential, it just shows us even more reason why we should treat each other uh, fairly and treat each other with love no matter where we come from or um, no matter how far apart we are physically. And that really is infused in everything that I do in my career, both on the creative side and on the philanthropic side, is that we should all love each other and we should all respect each other's humanity and, and treat each other as though we understand that we have so much in common. Yeah. I think when I look holistically at the world and see, um, you know, the traveling, everyone wants, like, people are traveling. People are exploring the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, much more than they were 20 years ago. And the world is becoming a lot smaller and it's becoming mixed. So I'm really optimistic, I think, about where the potential of um, connectivity by everybody. And I think it's, it's challenging because we live in a pretty um, complicated time where there is a lot of animosity and there's a lot of hatred that's being surfaced. And I think in some ways, like that conflict to me feels like an opportunity to seize the dialogue and to take advantage of the fact that people are actually starting to explore the world more and more and recognize that we are more similar. So I think about that conflict as an opportunity again of like reaching out to people who actually do have a very different opinion Mm. and who feel very different and actually trying to understand 
And and through that, I actually think, you know, I think in 50 years, I think the world's going to be a much better place. I'm really optimistic. And I and again, I see how much we have been able to change people in little bits and celebrate the diversity. Yeah. Like I just I so love like there's nothing better than going to a community that's totally different than yours. And that sense of like, I am learning on every every one of my senses is absorbing something new. And the fact that people evolved in different ways is it's just so cool. In that time, we're going to celebrate that more and more. And the more people are seizing that opportunity, and I think, again, we're living in, in such a complicated, dark time, um, but I really think that we will rise pretty magnificently from these ashes. I love Bill Gates because one of the things he talks about is how much the world's gotten better, Just and he uses data to talk about de- disease eradication, uh, um, literacy rates, uh, poverty rates, and almost... Uh, the rate of just wars and and if you think about it, uh, we had World War Two, like yeah. the tens of millions of people that died. Uh, you look at all these wars we've had in the history of the, of the world, and sometimes we lament what's happening right now, but we have to realize like we have made some progress as a, as a species <laughs> in and 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 uh, learning how to live with each other and uh, learning to fight some of these um, demons that kind of have bedeviled us for a long time. That's where I get some of my optimism from is just yeah. thinking about the arc of human history and how we're getting better at living with each other, even as, you know, there are more of us and, you know, we kind of interact with uh, larger groups of people around the world. Uh, we're, we're getting a little bit better at, uh, at figuring out how to navigate that and get better outcomes for more people. Um, and I think that's a good thing. And, and I, hopefully that will continue. I don't think it's necessarily true that that will continue to, uh, in a straight line toward positivity and greatness. We have to be vigilant and make sure that we, uh, we continue to steer our society in that direction to the extent that we can, but we should feel good in some sense that the world has gotten better. Yeah. It's safer, it's healthier, it's, you know, better educated, uh, more, more equal, um, more fair in a lot more ways than than I think sometimes we give ourselves credit for. I mean that that's a testament to people actually working to do it. It's, it's a testament to NGOs going into communities and making sure more people have access to medicine and vaccines. And it's, it's a credit to governments deciding we're going to do better and 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 address the needs of our people. It's a credit to people that actually have taken the time and energy and the and the uh, desire to go and actually make change. I think I guess it's just exactly what you said here. Like, it is the power of the individual to make a difference. Like, I remember very well, I was told in high school, one person can't make a difference. And I feel like we're living in a time where it's the exact opposite. Like, we see day in and day out how much one person can make a difference. And, like, you reaching out to someone and you doing something, like, it's the responsibility of each one of us that is actually is aware and wants to make a difference, like, to do it. And actually to like reach out and stretch yourself. And I, 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 I love, like I tried to push people in the company, like feeling uncomfortable is good. Like push yourself and you will make mistakes. Like you'll say the wrong thing. You'll offend someone. Like all these things are recoverable, like, but keep pushing yourself to try and make a difference. And you can. Well, you two have made a lot of a difference uh, in this interview, in your work. We have literally the arts and sciences uh, <laughs> in this discussion today. And that's a big chunk of our humanity. So thank you for your time. Uh, thanks for the positivity I'm infected with us. Thank you, Anne, for letting me know that I'm probably the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are. I'm going to come back to you with I that. I think we've confirmed. We've confirmed. We have confirmed it. All right. Thank you both. 
Want to dig in more on today's topics and guests? Check our show notes. And if you enjoyed the episode, share it with a friend, all your friends, and be sure to leave a review. If you want to hear more surprising stories about how we're all related, search and follow Spit on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Spit is an iHeartRadio podcast with 23andMe. I'm Baratunde Thurston. You can find out more about me at baratunde.com or sign up for my text messages. Just hit me up at 202-902-7949. Put hashtag spit podcast in your message so I know where you came from.